Hi pals, this is Blaine Hill with the Simply Stated Podcast for the Journey Sunday School class at Lake Murray Presbyterian Church in Chapin, South Carolina. Today we're going to be reading in Matthew chapter 5, the 21st through the 26th verses. I want to read a quote or two, two in fact. This one comes from Frederick Dale Bruner in a book I've been reading, a commentary of his. The holiness of God is at war with all bitterness, hatred, and hurting. I think the emphasis there falls on the all, all bitterness, hatred, and hurting. And a second quote from an ancient father of the church, God has threatened hell, not in order to send us therein, but that he might persuade us to flee from it. That's from Chrysostom. A little bit of a daunting quote for sure. Uh, I am looking forward to this Bible passage and trying to uncover it for us. All right. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift on the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser, while you are on the way to court with him. Or your accuser may hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Today's passage, and really the rest of the chapter, helps us to understand something from last week. Last week, we heard Jesus said that he comes not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Now, a a very traditional and correct way to understand Jesus fulfilling the law is to say that he accomplishes the law. He does what the laws require. But it's worth noticing what, what does Jesus say himself to explain what he means. Well, we last week we talked about Jesus uh, fulfilling the law, meaning that he fulfills Scripture. Now, in the rest of this chapter, in chapter 5 of Matthew, he's going to repeat a phrase. He will say, you have heard that it was said. Then he mentions something from the law, like murder. But I say to you, he goes on to say. And then he gives another teaching. So he might say, you've heard it was said, don't murder. But I say to you, and then he deals with rage and contempt and resentment like today. Or, you have heard it was said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, lust is a problem. Uh, He'll say, you have heard it was taught to love your neighbor, but I say to you, love your enemy. So in a sense, Jesus is explicitly and on purpose contrasting his teaching with the Old Testament scripture. Or really, let's use his word, fulfills it. So, uh, in, in our reading today, when he says, you've heard it said, you shall not murder, but I say to you, we, we're starting to see a pattern, and he is, by example, explaining what it means for him to fulfill the scripture. 
Well, I've, I've called this podcast Stated Simply. The idea I can s- simply put a few key ideas from Christianity. So let's, let's look at some of the basic elements of our reading this week. And I'll start by saying I may have been wrong about something in our Sunday school class last week. I said that I thought ang- to be angry was to uh, act out in rage. And certainly that is a form of anger. Anger can be furious rage, and it's a big problem. Uh, But the word here that Jesus uses, and and the fussiness of the grammar, um, I won't go into that, but the word means lingering resentment. Jesus is addressing, nursing a grudge, keeping a grudge. I can't remember uh, where... I saw it, but there was a, a television show. I think Reese Witherspoon was playing the character, and she she said that she liked to n- keep her grudges and keep them around like little pets and nurse her resentments. Um, and Jesus is warning us against that sort of resentment keeping. He also talks about insulting someone, and the word Jesus uses there is raka, which sounds rough and contemptuous. It almost sounds like spitting. And we don't know the exact meaning of the word, but we know it's not nice. Uh, maybe it's like the word stupid. If we call someone stupid, it's a surprisingly strong insult. Jesus also says if you call someone, you fool, um, idiot. Uh, the, the word is really rooted in the same as our English word moron. So if you, you know, if you call somebody a moron, uh, you're, that's not a nice thing to say to somebody. So, um, he, Jesus lines out three things he warns us against, against resentment uh, and an insult, maybe an insult against someone's intelligence and an insult against someone's moral sense. Um, if I do something foolish and someone wants to tease me about it, they, they can do it without attacking or insulting me, especially if they are uh, change their tone to sound friendly. You know, if someone says, Blaine, that wasn't very smart. Now I might not like it, but I'll perceive they're getting they're pointing something out about my misjudgment. But if they call me a, a, a name or an ugly word, if they cuss at me, basically, and we know what all those hostile words are. I'm not going to repeat those. That's really pretty painful, and we can see this in the most extreme. If you've ever known a child that was verbally abused by a parent, or God forbid that if you were, you then you've seen or experienced the damage that verbal attacks. Uh, can inflict. So Jesus is warning us against a very real and damaging part of life. And then he goes on to say, you know, you might be liable to judgment. Maybe he means in the eternal sense. We'll talk about that. But it seems to be he's just talking about the local council. So I think this is starting to get us a sense of extreme language Jesus is using. He is saying, you know, if, if you... Uh, resent somebody, you're going to be turned over to the local's magistrate office. Well, that, that seems like a lot. And then to the council or the Sanhedrin is the word in Greek. Well, he says if you call someone a moron, you're going to end up in Supreme Court. And uh, a moron is reserved actually for the fire of hell. Uh, now, it's important. It isn't a, a generic word there. The word there for, uh, is it fire? For hell uh, is not Hades, the Greek word, but an actual place outside of Jerusalem called Gehenna. It's a very specific place. It's the smoldering dump outside the city of Jerusalem. And remember in this passage, Jesus is talking to people 
who go down to Jerusalem to offer sacrifice at the temple. They're familiar with the city of Jerusalem. They would know what Gehenna is and kind of its gross smell. It was a burning dump. Um, Maybe we could compare it to the sewage plant that's on Broad River Road or or anywhere, really. If you get close to those, particularly if they're working overtime, boy, you know about those. They're they're super gross. Uh, And just, you know, it sounds like a terrible place to end up. Um, It's pretty clear by all this that Jesus means this to be surprising and shocking. Uh, It's an unexpected escalation. He starts by talking about murder, and now he's saying resentment and cussing at somebody is going to get you thrown into the burning dump heap heap at the edge of town. It's going to get you dragged in front of the Supreme Court. Um, Worth noting here, Jesus uses the word brother, the New Revised Standard. The translation I use says brother or sister because it meant men and women in the church. It's just another word for Christian. It's Matthew's word for somebody else in the Christian community in the church. And when he says the temple, he means the temple in Jerusalem. It was one place, one building. It was a hugely important action, in the, a place of action in the life, life of faithful views. In a way, it was kind of the, kind of the axis of the world. Uh, it was the temple that's... Um, not Solomon built. I almost made a mistake there. But um, a temple, it would, this is the second temple that was rebuilt after uh, the first temple was destroyed in the 6th century before Jesus. Um, so Jesus is talking about the important work of Jewish people uh, to go in and make a sacrifice. And he says if, uh, that being reconciled to people is so important uh, that we have to leave and go patch things up with someone. Uh, so maybe maybe we could think about it in terms of if someone said to us, if you're going forward to take communion, to participate in the Lord's Supper, and you remember a brother or sister has something against you, you should go to them. That would be the startling, sort of startling thing that might make sense to us. The, la- the last little simple point, and I now want to make this, Jesus says, just talking about going to court it seems like he's talking about debtor's prison, as if somebody owed something, either damages or maybe a debt of some kind. And if you couldn't pay it, they would put you into a, a debtor's prison, it seems. So that's what he's talking about. So I hope that explains some of the content of the passage. As always, if there's some piece of the passage uh, that you uh, would like an explanation for, I'd love to try to help clarify and uh, simply state the meaning of the passage. So um, reach out to me. I, boy, I would love to try to answer a question that you have and are already asking. Now, last week, we also I, I tried to give a little framework to understand um, the, the rest of the chapter. As we go through, we want to look at four things. Uh, the person of Jesus, theology, that is, how do we think about th- this idea in relationship to God? So person, theology, ethics, and then eternity. And I think Jesus gives us that framework in verses 17 to 20. And our, our last podcast was about that. I um, hope I explained that well. So, person, we might ask the question, what do Jesus' words reveal about who he is? And if we're thinking about theology, what, what idea can we draw from his teaching? And if we think about ethics, what ethical guide can we take from his teaching? about how we actually live our life. And regarding eternity, 
how does this teaching link our everyday life and eternity? Well, that sounds all very, very abstract, I imagine. It does a little bit to me, and I, I outline the ideas from Scripture. But So let's try it with, with our passage today concerning anger. But first, let's ask, you know, what does Jesus' teaching about anger reveal about himself? Well, first we see Jesus play out the kind of authority that he claimed in the verses before that he's come to fulfill uh, the law and the prophets, to fulfill Hebrew Scripture. Uh, He has the authority not just to interpret Scripture, but to bring it to its fullness. So to take the command, do not murder, and to understand that it is an injunction against anger, resentment, cussing at people, and how we go about, we, we should go about settling our disagreements. So in this one, we really see how uh, Jesus is claiming a very powerful authority. By the way, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to see uh, that the crowd that the crowd recognizes that Jesus has an unusual authority, uh, an authority that is different from other teachers in that day. So that's the first thing we see. It's worth wondering how did um, how did Jesus experience anger in his own life and upsetness at the people around him. We knew we know that he got frustrated with his disciples. We know that he said some things that seemed quite sharp to to his own family. He makes um, a whip out of ropes and at least drives the animals out of the courtyard of the temple in Jerusalem, maybe even the keepers of the courtyard. Um, and that's something... We, we could explore in the rest of Scripture, but it's worth remembering that um, there's a lot... uh, It's worth remembering. Anger, being upset, is a part of being human. And Jesus was a human. He was also divine, but he was fully human. So he experienced uh, the normal and full human emotions. So we start. We can ask the question: Well, how did he respond to those in a godly way, in a way that exhibited the kingdom of heaven? Um, so we we can look at that as we read through other passages passages of scripture. But this certainly raises that interesting question. So that's the person of Jesus. Now let's look at theology. What what, what idea can we draw from this teaching? I'll suggest one. Our relationship with God is directly linked to our relationship to other people. Our day-to-day treatment of others is directly linked to eternity. They're connected. We, 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 Christianity rejects the idea that someone could be a deeply rich and richly spiritual person and yet constantly and without an attempt to change, treat people badly, uh, knowingly. That's simply not part of the Christian life at all. So what what theological ideas do you get out of this scripture? Uh, What does it teach you about the character of God the Father? Boy, it would be interesting to think about the wrath of God in relationship to um, human anger. That would be an interesting theological point to explore. Now let's talk about ethics, how we actually live our life, both in terms of, hey, what's the big idea that drives us to act and what actual steps we can take? 
Frederick Bruner, I mentioned him, his uh, commentary has been very helpful to me, talks about these as little steps. I don't think they're that little, but Jesus does point out some concrete things here. How are we going to deal with conflict, either if somebody else has done wrong or if we've done something wrong? That's the, the ethical question that Jesus' teaching brings to our attention. Well, he says, when we recognize that someone has something against us. Wow, that, we're coming, if you're going into the temple about to make a sacrifice and you remember a brother or sister has something against you. Well, we all do something against other people. And he says, when you remember it, that is the moment to begin to make it right. That not even making sacrifice to God should stop you from being reconciled to a brother or sister in Christ. Well, that's really just an amazing claim and deepens that theological principle that I tried to lay out, that there's no distinguishing between them, um, that they are connected to each other um, in a way that cannot be separated, our relationship to God and our relationship to other people. Um, We see that in the prophet Michael. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice? That's about treating our neighbors well and to seek mercy and to walk humbly with our God. Those things are all linked together. Um, Jesus also gives us another step. You know, if we're in a conflict with someone, that we should go to them and try to directly settle with the other person. He uses this really vibrant example of having to go to court. But before you get to the court, he says, you should try to settle with them uh, right away, that you should settle with them. And he points out it could go badly. You know, you may have to give up something to set, to be reconciled, but you should do that. Um, it's also interesting to notice that Jesus moves, at least in my impression, you know, we're angry with someone, and then we, so we yell at them or, or, or hold resentment. He moves from holding, against, holding something against someone to having hurt someone. And I'm, I'm trying to puzzle out are those things effectively, are they so closely connected that we deal with them in one way? Uh, I, I don't know. It's really just a question there that he doesn't seem to be distinguishing. He, he seems to move between someone having hurt us and us having done something against someone. Maybe here we can see that the ethical principle that Jesus is driving us to is reconciliation uh, with other people. So we've talked about uh how the passage teaches us about the person of Jesus and then how we can think theologically. What theological category does this make you, this teaching make you think of? And what ethical um, principles are at play in Jesus' teaching here? And finally, we're going to look at our fourth fourth point, eternity. Uh, Jesus, in the passage before, clearly raises Eternity and seems to do so here as well. Um, maybe the first point as we think about resentment is simply the power of resentment to enduringly poison us in our relationships. We, 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 if you've ever experienced the power of resentment, uh, you know it, it, it can be really noxious. Um, from the little bit of study I've done on marriage and encouraging couples in marriage. This is one of the areas that's very uh, difficult in a marriage that has 
uh, a deep crisis, say if one of the uh, partners in a marriage betrays the other, or just it doesn't even have to be that bad. If the peer, if a period in a marriage uh, goes bad and there's um, not just tension but ongoing lingering resentment at one point in time, uh, that resentment and that anger has the power to poison even the past in a marriage. And a couple or one of the people in the couple can be so upset with the present, perhaps justly, that the good memories and the good times that they had in the past uh, are, in a sense, washed out of all their color and vibrancy and joy. And, And maybe Jesus is saying that resentment in the present is a bitter foretaste of um, the enduring lack of the kingdom of heaven if we're not reconciled. Now, of course, I started by this startling quote, one startling quote of, uh, about hell. I have to tell you a, a topic I, I did don't intentionally go to teach on very much. And the idea that God uh, is trying to persuade us to flee from it, from the ancient father Christ, Chrysostom. And Whenever we talk about hell, I think we have to remember that it's colored culturally by Dante, uh, that Italian poem, and by Milton, the English poet, and then even some degree by those silly little Tom and Jerry type cartoons with devils and angels on people's shoulders. It can be really hard for us to set aside the, the silly or the serious parts of our culture so we can listen to Jesus' word about Uh, Gehenna, the hell of fire, or about the kingdom of heaven. So that's just a caution to say it. We should be aware that it's hard for us to hear the truth Jesus is laying out. But he clearly is linking our present tent, present conflicts with people uh, to the future. Jesus is the one, uh, he's the one, the first person to be raised to eternal life on Easter Sunday. And he's the first human being to be raised up into heaven. That's a mysterious claim, but that's the claim of the New Testament. And he promised the thief on the cross that, hey, you will be with me today in paradise. Um, So whatever Jesus, uh, while we may be puzzled by the idea of eternity, Jesus is, is clearly including that in his teaching. In the passage before, he says that our righteousness... Our righteousness must succeed that of the scribes and Pharisees, or we'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's commonly thought that that is only referring to the future, but we have to remember something very important. Very, this is hugely important in understanding the kingdom of heaven and understanding eternity. When we think about the kingdom of heaven, we should always remember Jesus' first teaching. In Matthew, that's the fourth chapter. He says, "Repent." For the kingdom of heaven has come near. Uh, Another way to translate that is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What that partly means is that the kingdom of heaven is something that we can experience in our everyday lives. So when Jesus teaches us about how we should respond when people hurt us, or we do something uh, to damage a relationship with someone else. How we how how are we going to respond to that? It's not simply a matter of our current resources. Somehow, in that struggle, we have the opportunity to experience 
in some way now experience the kingdom of heaven. And it seems that that comes by being reconciled to the people we are in conflict with. Um, That uh, God has sent his son into the world that he might reconcile the world back to himself. That he might reconcile you back to himself. And so if if we're trying to be a part of and experience the kingdom of heaven, then we need to pay attention to the fact that God and his son, the king of heaven, uh, are God's uh, are a God of reconciliation. Um, so I hope that you will think about this passage and think about who Jesus is in relationship to your relationships. That was a funny sentence. You'll think about uh, your relationships in terms of, of not just you and that other person, but the the category, the theological category of reconciliation that you'll find little steps to take in your real life, uh, whether someone has done something against you or you've done something to hurt them, that you'll take concrete steps in your life. And then finally, that you'll, you'll have the courage and the strength to do that, understanding that your relationship is a place where you can begin to experience the kingdom of heaven. Well, friends, I am so grateful that you listened this far, and I look forward to talking Uh, more with you and sharing with you what I learn in God's Word. Next time we're going to look at Matthew 5 verses 27 27, and I think we'll try to go all the way to verse 32 and deal with what Jesus teaches about adultery and what Jesus teaches about divorce. Those are going to be probably pretty challenging uh, passages for some of us. but I look forward to talking about them. Thank you, and God bless you. This is Blaine Hill with the Simply Stated podcast for the Journey Sunday School class at Lake Murray Presbyterian Church.